when the uh, world thinks about what church is, um, two uh, come, oh, I'm sorry, and children are dismissed. I, uh, yes, to, to public explorers. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca, for catching my eye on that. <laughs> so, but when the church thinks about, uh, or when the world thinks about church, uh, many of them, I would say a, a, a vast majority, think of maybe a, a couple different kinds of churches. Uh, one is, uh, is the real formal uh, church, maybe the one that they're, they're used to with, with uh, hats and robes and, and whatnot. The other might be, uh, or another, might be a, uh, uh, a, a TV evangelist who is, uh, is, is talking about how many good things that he's done or what uh, you know, righteousness is. And then um, others may be thinking of, of another type of uh, a person that's teaching what we call the prosperity gospel these days. And uh, some of you may have seen, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're on social media with me, you may have seen uh, me talking about someone I pulled over yesterday on, on the road at my other job. And uh, uh, the, the driver, I asked, as I, I normally do, uh, uh, you know, why were you traveling so quickly? And she said, well, I was so caught up in this podcast of, of a person who's known as a sort of prosperity gospel proponent. And I said, well, I, I still need to see your license and registration. And she handed me her visa card. Um, uh, not because, I, well, I, and I, 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 I joked with her. I said, is this you telling me that I should have my best life now? <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, the, the world does not see Jesus often when it sees the church, unfortunately. At the time of the Gospels being written, and today we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, but at the, at, at the time of, of Jesus, uh, there were two uh, major religious groups that most people thought about. There were a couple others, but, but the ones that are prominent in, in the Gospels are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, uh, we're not sure where that name came from. Some may th think it, it means specifiers or separated uh, is another uh, Idea, but, but they believed uh, in rigid laws that sort of supplemented and interpreted uh, the, the Torah, the, the Torah, the, uh, the teachings, the, 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 what we know as the first five books of the Old Testament, and then the prophets and the writings in addition to that. They valued rituals. They especially uh, valued ones that, that surrounded with uh, purity and, uh, and, and holiness and, uh, uh, and tithing or, or righteousness and tithing. Uh, if you were to call someone today a Pharisaic, uh, you'd probably mean that they were self-righteous or legalistic, and that would be in line with what Jesus says about the Pharisees. Their rivals were the Sadducees, who were a pro-Roman priesthood. They were, they were um, generally uh, born into the position. It was sort of an aristocracy uh, among the Jews. Uh, they p held positions of authority in the, uh, in the temple under the auspices of, of the Roman government. Um, the, including the high priesthood. Uh, they, they taught that following uh, the principles of, of the Torah uh, would bring prosperity in this world, it was sort of like the, or the, uh, the prosperity gospel uh, teachers of their time. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like many uh, religious groups today, did not like each other. Uh, they didn't think much of each other. They were bitter rivals, actually. Uh, yet they banded together 
to oppose Jesus. And, and when we uh, read in the gospel today, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 10, starting in, uh, in verse 17. We're going to see uh, some of their teaching that sort of bubbles up in this. But there's good reasons that they banded together to oppose Jesus because his teachings were radical and they threatened the status quo that was represented by these two religious groups. And Jesus' teachings are still radical and they still uh, threaten the status quo in our world and in our church today. They challenge modern day Phariseeism in which we assert our own righteousness and seek our own honor instead of Christ's. And they challenge modern-day Sadduceeism, where we set our minds on the status and the treasures of this world instead of the treasures of heaven. In Matthew 16, he said to his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in today's passage, we're going to see that this leaven was present, that it had worked its way into life. And I think we can also see through this how this leaven is still a clear and present danger to our lives today. It's a long uh, passage today, so bear with me, but there's going to be four different accounts in here. And three of them, people are going to come to Jesus and ask him to do something for him. And then in the other one, Jesus is going to tell people what he is doing for them, what he's doing for all of us. It starts in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, uh, with the rich young man saying, give me honor. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, uh, this, we see that he runs up and kneels, and we might think that this is a sign of humility, but uh, in that time, in, in first century Palestine, as is even true in some of our, 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 day, or our world today, when someone came up and, and used a sort of a, a glowing uh, introduction, you know, good teacher, they were expecting the same response. So you might come up and say, good teacher, and you'd expect him to say, good sir, what can I do for you? It's sort of a, a, to build up each other. You might run up and, and kneel before someone, expecting them to bring you up, to sort of bring you, no, 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 don't kneel in front of me. You know, you're, you're my equal. So very common. It's not written in here, but that would, that's in keeping with, with that culture. We don't know, by the way, your, your Bible may say this is the rich young man. Um, th- in here, we don't know that he's young, but we do know from other accounts uh, of this uh, same, uh, uh, of this same uh, happening in, in Matthew 19 and Luke 18 that he was young, uh, that he was rich, and that he was a ruler, uh, a religious ruler most likely. And because of that, either a Pharisee or a Sadducee, uh, we're going to see elements of both, but I'm going to suggest that uh, the evidence points to him likely being uh, a Sadducee. Anyhow, he comes forward and he says, good teacher, and he asks him a question, but Jesus doesn't respond with, good sir. Instead, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your your father and your mother. 
Instead of saying, good sir, and telling this person that he is good, because he thinks he's good. We see this uh, later on. Instead, he, he, he says, he challenges this idea that anyone is good except for God. Then he lists some of the commandments again in, in no particular order. Uh, but the man respond, responds, and we see this uh, interesting. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, let's suspend our disbelief for the moment, right? Let's assume that indeed this young man has kept all those commandments perfectly since, uh, since he was a child. That, that uh, maybe he's, he's fully commit, kept all of them, not just murder, adultery, and theft, but, but uh, the ones that are pro- prohibiting dishonesty, prohibiting uh, bad treatment of his, his parents. Assume he's followed these all the way to the letter, But it doesn't matter because Christ has taught us that it's not the letter that matters, that it's the heart of those commandments. You know, he he says in Matthew, right, you have heard and said to those of old, you shall not murder, right? But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother has murdered him in his heart. He says, "Uh, you have heard that it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the commandment as Jesus teaches. The only place that the rich young man is is righteous is in his own sight. He's saying, what must I do? All these I have kept. He doesn't understand the problem. He doesn't get it. He thinks he's on par or at least close to Jesus's righteousness. Good teacher? Yes, good sir. That's the exchange that he wants. He doesn't understand that all his righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's what it says in Isaiah 64. He doesn't understand that everything he has done does not measure up. Uh, the writer David Garland writes about this passage. If one can say after encountering the teachings of Jesus, all these things I have kept since I was a boy, it probably means that we have, only a, we have met only a watered-down version of it. However, just because he is self-righteous and, and, and missed the whole point of Jesus' ministry doesn't mean that he's despised. Because look what it says in verse 21. This is something that we miss lots of times when we read this story. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved him, and because of this, he said, you lack one thing. Then he says, go, so all you have Give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow to me. Come follow me. But you lack one thing, and then he lists four or five. Uh, What's going on here? What is the one thing he lacked? Is it to go? Is it to sell all he had? Is it to give to the poor? Is it to, to gather up riches in heaven? Is it to come and follow Jesus? What can be the one thing that encompasses all of these it's the one thing that all people whose minds are, are not set on the things of God, but on the things of this world need. It's, it's to be a disciple of Christ. One who not only believes Jesus and follows Jesus and learns from Jesus, but who wishes to imitate Jesus. This is the discipleship to which he calls us. It's Back in Mark, Mark 8, he, he rebukes 
Peter and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, whether it's to sell all we have or to turn away from the false pride of, of our worthless worldly accomplishments. He, he calls us to take up our crosses, to serve the glory of heaven instead of the glory of ourselves. And he calls us to come and follow him. And the rich young man can't do that. Right? Instead of going away in joy to give away the temporary treasures of this earth, so he can't he can come back and, and follow Christ to eternal treasures in heaven, he goes away sorrowful, right? Continuing to cling to these temporary things. He gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. And so Jesus, he looks around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Now, you may have heard that the eye of the needle is, is, is uh, symbolic, that it talked about some gate and getting a camel through there, having to get down on its knees, and it was really uh, difficult. But that doesn't match with what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying uh, with man it is difficult, right, later on. He says it is impossible. Jesus is intentionally saying it is impossible through man's abilities, man's efforts, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, period, dot. We should take this teaching at face value, and we should try to understand how hard a teaching this is. We should not try to water it down. It's a hard teaching, just like the rest of this Bible contains hard teachings. It's even harder when you, you think a bit more about, about what the disciples said, because when they said, then who can be saved? Remember, these were not all rich people. Right? Aside from, from Matthew and his brother James, who, who probably were from more affluent backgrounds, uh, most of these were fishermen. And th their, their wealth was not very much. They had left lots of things. And, but even they understood. They were astonished with this. Even though all they might have owned was a share in, a, in an old fishing boat, and, uh, and, and a couple old nets, and maybe a corner of a, a, a mud hut back in their hometown. It astonished them, and if it astonished them, it ought to terrify us. Um, we are exceedingly rough. This morning, when I woke up, Bill and I were talking about this in prayer time a little bit, but uh, when I woke up this morning, I had water out of my tap. I could drink. Um, I didn't have it earlier in the week um, for a little while, but but I had water I could drink. I got into a hot shower. I chose what to eat. Not only, it wasn't just that I, I ate. That's a miracle itself. I chose what to eat. I chose which clothes to wear, which shoes to wear. I chose which car to take to work. Um, that's a luxury. It's a huge luxury. It probably doesn't under, uh, surprise you that in this country we have what people were talking about a couple years ago, the 1%. It, 
It probably doesn't surprise you that people who make six figures, you know, $100,000 or more, are in that 1% in, in relation to the whole world. But did you know that even those who are in our middle class, like in, in, in the, the median, around $31,000 uh, a year, uh, that, they're in the top 1% of the whole world. Those below the poverty line are still in the top 3 to 5%. Here. If you make more than $3 a day, you are above the middle class in relation to the whole, whole world. Who can be saved indeed? Praise God for his promise, right? With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Praise God that he reaches out to save even us. But it doesn't change the fact that it is as difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. C.S. Lewis writes, all things are possible, it's true. But picture how the camel feels squeezed out in one long bloody thread from, from tail to snout. If we continue to hold on to the riches of this world, we risk serving them instead of serving God. And even if we are saved uh, in spite of our own passions, how terrible an experience it will to try to drag them through the needle with us. In, in, in Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthians, he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. But if we release them, if we stop putting our trust in our own riches and our own accomplishments, thinking we can attain righteousness through them, if we release those and come follow Jesus, we will find treasures in heaven. That flies in the face of the Pharisee or the modern-day uh, legalist who says that religious rituals or actions can make us righteous. It flies in the face of the Sadducees or the modern-day prosperity gospel. It tells us that, that religion can make us rich in this world. Our missions team did not leave this morning knowing that for the financial uh, contributions they'd made towards this, that they would get a 15% return. They didn't leave for that. They didn't leave even thinking that there would be no discomfort or, or even injuries or, or, or resistance. No, they left knowing that Jesus puts all of the stuff in this world to risk. How do we know this? Because Jesus himself told us. He said that denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following him will bring us difficulty. In John 16, uh, 33, it says, In this world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus sets on his journey to Jerusalem, and we read that at least some of those who had witnessed his last teaching did continue to follow him. The Bible tells us that they were amazed, right, and others were afraid. This shouldn't be surprising. Jesus reminds them while they're going to Jerusalem, he tells of his, his upcoming death. Right? He, he, he says a little bit later, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will con condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days 
He will rise. And you might think that after hearing this, you would say, why, Jesus, is all this going to happen? But no, what they say is James and John come up and say, by the way, give us some status. And that's the next story of people asking things of Jesus. It's easy to think that they were thinking, if you read through this, that they were talking about when Jesus comes to, into his, his uh, heavenly kingdom, that they'd be able to sit on his right and left side. But if we read it carefully, we see there's no mention of that heavenly kingdom. It's his glory. They're talking about present-day glory. The disciples still don't get this. The lies of the prince of the world are still masquerading as the language of the kingdom. And we see that today as well. James and John are the, still the mistaken idea that this Messiah is that, that son of David who's, who's going to come in as a conqueror and, and take over a kingdom of the present world, a first century Palestine. They don't seek the glory of Christ but the glory of the world. They are saying, give me status in this world. And Jesus, again, tells them that they don't get it. He says, you do not know what you are asking. Are, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They're thinking he's going to be lifted up to a high station in this world. And all the time, Jesus is telling them that indeed he will be lifted up, but on a cross, not a throne. But you can tell from the response that just as Peter thought when he pulled Jesus aside to rebuke him after he had, he had first told the disciples he was going to be uh, killed, they're still thinking that, that they know better. And they say, we're able. And I can imagine the tearing of Jesus' heart it must have felt is he, when he responds to them because he responds with prophecy. And he says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with, which I am bap baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus knows this, but James doesn't know that he will be executed by Herod. John doesn't know that he's going to be tortured. Early church uh, father Tertullian says it, that it's by being uh, put into boiling oil and that somehow he survives that just to be exiled to the island of Patmos. James, or James later on, on uh, or I'm sorry, John later on writes that he is in tribulation as he writes uh, the, the book of Revelation. If we really want to consider the irony, though, think about who does end up on the right side and the left side of Christ when he is lifted up in this world. Two robbers on the crosses next to him. Let that sink in. James and John are, are expecting Jesus to be the son of David who will be crowned king of, of the Jews. And he is crowned, but it's with a crown of thorns. And he is put on a throne, but it's a cross. But James and John are in good, they're in good company because the other ten don't get it either. And they're indignant, it says. And so Jesus repeats the message he's been saying over and over, so many ways, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's what he said in Mark 8, 33. He says, you're acting here, you're acting like you're lording it over each other. That is not the way of my kingdom. What causes fights among you? Later on, we read in the book of James, 
says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? But Jesus says, deny yourself. Be a servant. Pick up your, your cross. Be a slave. In verse 45, he, he says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for, as a ransom for many. And so they continue now. They're going, coming to Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. We can imagine the scene, right? Because there are 12 with Jesus. There are others who are, have begun to follow him. And there's a crowd that gathers in, a, in addition to this. And we know from Luke chapter 19 that the crowd is so overwhelming that Zacchaeus even had to climb up in a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. People are asking, what's going on? Who is this? And other people are saying, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And from the side of a road, a blind man named Barnabas begins pleading. He hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And people are shushing him. There. Shh, be quiet. Don't, don't, don't bother him. We can't hear what he's saying. Leave the teacher alone. But he cries out all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, stopped, and he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, he is calling you. And just the words in here, I mean, Mark is the gospel of immediacy, but it says, right, it says, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. The rich man asked for honor, and Jesus hadn't granted it. James and John, Jesus' own disciples, had asked for status in this world, and Jesus hadn't granted that either. But for this blind beggar, right, an outcast of society, Jesus granted his request. I'm not talking about sight. Bartimaeus hasn't even asked for this yet. Jesus grants his first request. Jesus had mercy on Bartimaeus. Here's the crazy thing. The, the Greek word for, for uh, mercy is eleos, and it means mercy, kindness, goodwill toward the afflict, afflicted, combined with a desire to help them. And when the Bible uses this word uh, as God having mercy, it's often in the context of, of uh, salvation through Christ. And when he uses, the Bible uses this as Christ having mercy, it's often to speak of, of giving eternal life. You see this Matthew uh, 5, 7, sort of a comparison of men showing mercy and God showing mercy. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So it's, we need to remember how a few verses ago when the rich man came to Jesus and wanted eternal life based on his own righteousness, Jesus had mercy upon him, looking at him in love. He wanted to give him eternal life. That's what that mercy is. And he knew he lacked just one thing, to be a disciple of Christ. To entrust himself to the only one who is able to have mercy on him. To deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. And when James and John came looking for worldly status, Jesus called on them to remember how he had had mercy on them. How he came not to, serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. So that they would have eternal life. Let's not miss that 
while Bartimaeus is the only one in this group who makes the right plea, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's not where it stops because Jesus does choose to heal him physically as well by healing his sight. And there's one more difference in this scene versus those other two scenes. Jesus tells the rich young man to go, empty himself, right? And then come back to follow Jesus. Jesus has already told his disciples the same thing. And even while their, uh, their understanding was, was flawed, they were doing that. But Jesus tells Bartimaeus, go your way. So verse 52, go, right? That's what the Greek says. Is it doesn't say go your way. The Greek actually just says go. And what does Bartimaeus do? He decides that the only place he can go his way is with Jesus. Because go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Paul writes in Galatians 1, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some among you who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Friends, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that time, here in the 21st century, there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. There may be many reasons they do that. Some may even seem right to them. But any way that is not the way and the truth and the life is instead a dead end. It's a lie and it leads to death. Some are going to teach you that somehow you can do something to be good enough, to be holy enough in your own power, that somehow God will honor and reward your good deeds done by your own will and have your own ability and thus outside of his grace, his unmerited favor, that some religious ritual or, or words or even a spiritual discipline will bring you redemption and earn you eternal life. And that is the leaven of the Pharisees. And some will teach you that if you will just read and, and adhere to the teachings in this book, you will be rewarded with wealth. If you tithe 10%, you'll get 20% back as if it were Bernie Madoff we were following instead of Jesus Christ. If you'll just believe, you will have your best life now. The house you want, the job you want, the family you want, the clothes you want, the prestige you want, that's the leaven of the Sadducees speaking. Both of these are false. They are dead ends. They are lies, and they lead to death. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do not let it be worked into the dough of your life, your belief, your practices, and your faith. To the Pharisee, Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. Sadducee, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. To those who would follow and expect uh, treasures on earth, he says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of, God, Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Instead, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, not for honors or status in the world, but so while on the earth you will be reviled. 
You will be persecuted. You will be slandered on his account. And when that happens, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's not for riches or treasures in the world, but knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's Colossians 3.24. These are hard teachings in this book, but we can't turn back. In John 6, the disciples said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, Jesus' teachings are hard, but when your eyes, like Bartimaeus's, are opened, you will see that there is no other way. Where else would you go than to follow him? All of us are rich. It is certainly easy to, for us to deny those riches, but let us not forget that if we were to take, if we were able to take gold with us to heaven, when we showed up, someone would say, why'd you bring pavement? You know what you can bring to heaven? You can bring your friends, you bring your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, strangers, people who are in a dying world and are dying, chasing temporary riches, right? perishing and heading for an eternity in hell separated from God forever. Maybe you're that person who's separated at this point. Maybe you're the one who lacks that one thing. Silver and gold, earthly prestige and honor, we don't offer that here at FCBC. Uh, we do preach the gospel of Christ crucified, and that is the one thing you lack. I'm going to ask them uh, to come forward. We're going to, uh, on the first Sunday of each month, we uh, practice uh, communion.